Will you bow your head with me as we prepare our hearts? Gracious God, we want to thank you uh, that you've given us your word. And our prayer now, Lord, is that as we open up your scripture, that you would be able to breathe a fresh breath and a fresh understanding of what's been true for thousands of years. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Luke 14. This morning's sermon is, um, I'm going to be preaching to the choir um, because none of you suffer from the sin of presumptuousness. So it's probably good that a lot of people aren't here because they probably um, are not presumptuous at all. That's not true, right? In some way and in some form, all of us have a bit of presumptuousness to us, a bit of arrogance, a bit of I know better, I know more than this person or that person. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to begin in verse 7. So this is Jesus. He's been invited to a banquet. He is sitting down. He's kind of sitting back, people watching, observing, kind of like what we do when we go to a party, church, or the airport. We just watch people. And so Jesus is sitting there at the table watching, and this is what it says. When he, Jesus, noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them, a parable. So there's two things I want us to kind of note right off the bat. Number one is that Jesus noticed how the guests were choosing the place of honor. Jesus was watching. It's almost like he was looking to see what people would do. Jesus watches. He looks. And the second part is that he told them a parable. Now, we all know what a word, what the word parable is for the most part. We know that it's a story. But perhaps I want to give you a different understanding or a better or clearer way of understanding what a parable was supposed to do. So it was a story using common day language and examples to get a deeper and more meaningful point across. So whenever, how many of you have ever disagreed with someone? Or how many of you have ever had, maybe let me say it differently. How many of you have ever had an opinion about something that was different from the person sitting next to you? And how many times have you, knowing that you are right and that they are not, how many of you have ever said, I'm going to just share, I'm just going to show them the facts, I'm going to tell them the facts, and I'm going to convince them? Have we ever done that? If the facts say it, then it must be true. I would say this, there are two ways to enter a house. The house being a metaphor for a conversation and understanding. The first way is that you can just say what you need to say because you know it's right and it's true and you just say it and you tell them and you convince them. Does that work usually? No. The only people we can do this to is who? Yeah, our kids. And they, and they still don't listen. <laughs> they just nod and pretend. Yeah, we don't convince anybody by just giving the facts. Even a lawyer, even a lawyer making a case doesn't convince a jury just by giving the facts. It just doesn't happen that way. I don't know. I might be wrong, Josh. You're the in-house lawyer right now. But usually you make an argument. You plead to their emotions. You plead to something that they maybe have experienced. It's about more than just the facts. So the first way to enter a house, an argument, a disagreement, to teach somebody something is you just go straight at it, which usually isn't very effective. The other way. And I would argue the most effective way to have a conversation, even with your kids, is to go around the house before you enter it. In other words, it's asking the right questions. It's kind of prodding and poking to get the other person to kind of get to where you are in understanding and then get them to agree. 
It's, it's persuasion. It's not coercion. It's going around the house asking these questions, asking the right questions so that you can get the person to come alongside you and then understand what you understand and then come to the same conclusion. I would say if we did this, our relationships, whatever they are, friendship, children, um, husbands, wives, co-workers, our relationships would be better if we took the time to ask the right questions. So Jesus uses this approach often. If you ever read the scriptures or the gospels, what Jesus does whenever he is asked a question, he often answers how? By asking another question. By leading the people to come to the same understanding. So this is what we have here. Jesus sees how the guests were choosing the places of honor. Now in the first century, you chose to sit at the place of honor because you believe that you deserve to sit in the place of honor. So at a banquet in the first century, it would be perhaps a big table. The host of the party would have the, the center seat, the place, the most important place. And then to his right would be the next important person, and to his left the next important person, and so on around the table. So as Jesus is sitting there watching, he sees all of these people coming and trying to sit as close to the host as possible because they believe that their social status made them deserve to be one of the most important guests at this banquet. And so Jesus continues. He's about to share something with them. Jesus says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case some, someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place, right, the place of honor, and then in disgrace you would start to take the lowest place. Now how embarrassing would that be? How embarrassing would it be that you go and you take the place of honor, the most important place, because you think that you deserve to be the center of attention. You are the most important person there. Maybe you make the most amount of money, or you have the highest level of degree, or you're a politician and you, are, you sit at all of the places of honor, whatever it is. How embarrassing would it be if you take that place and then the host comes and tells you, hey, that's not your place. One commentary puts it this way, as in life, so is the kingdom of God. Self-importance and self-promotion that goes with it does not lead to honor but shame. So if you think you are more important than you really are, or more important than others, you're only going to bring shame on yourself. In the first century, it was all about honor and honor and honor. So you didn't want to do anything to bring shame on yourself or on your family. What we find in this parable is that Jesus isn't just giving wise advice to people when they go to a banquet, but Jesus was actually begin to, beginning to teach them about the kind of characteristics you need to be a part of God's kingdom here and now. So there's an illustration, and it goes like this. A girl comes to a pastor, and she says, Pastor, I've been, I have a besetting sin, and I want your help. I come to church on Sunday, and I can't help but think that I am the prettiest girl in the congregation. I know I shouldn't think like that, but I can't help it. I want you to help me with this. To which the pastor replies, Mary, don't worry about it. In your case, it's not a sin. You're just horribly mistaken. 
guess she wasn't the prettiest girl. I think sometimes the way we see ourselves isn't the reality of how other people see us. You see, this sermon and this teaching and this passage is about humility. It's, a, it's, not, it's not that humility is weakness. We oftentimes in our society think that to be humble and to not demand the recognition for what we've done is weakness. We live in a society where we demand to be recognized. We demand approval. We demand validation for the things that we do. That's why we work hard. That's why we do the things we do, because we want to be validated and recognized. But life in the kingdom of God, life as it is described to us in the Holy Scripture, is not about recognition. It's not about being validated by your peers or by other people or by people that are higher up on you on the rung of social society or work. The characteristic of people who live in the kingdom of God should always be humility, and it is not weakness. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, right? It's not about beating yourself up. It's just about thinking of yourself less. Humility is to encompass the person that Jesus was. So the other question would be this. When you've done something good and people praise you for it, are you doing what you have done to receive that praise, that validation, that recognition, or do you do what you do in order to give God the glory and the honor? What are you living your life for? What are you giving your life to? See, that's the fundamental question that the passage is, ha is talking about here. It's about if you've given your life to Christ, you are going to do everything as though you are doing it for Christ. If it's your job to clean a porta potty, it's as though you are going to clean that porta potty for the king of the universe. Some of us have had jobs, and maybe some of you currently have jobs now that you absolutely hate. So you show up and you kind of just call it in, right? You're just like, okay, I'm here whatever, I'm going to clock in, I'm going to clock out, I'm going to work my 40 hours a week, I'm going to get my paycheck, I'm going to you know, go and spend my paycheck here or there, right, I hate my job, I hate my coworkers, so you kind of just mail it in. If you've had that experience, the fact that you're just going through the motions is that you're just living for the end, which is the money, which is what you want and desire, which is just for your self-indulgence, or when you go to work, even if you hate it, do you do it in such a way that you are doing it for your king? Do you treat your husband or wife as though you are treating a king or a queen? Do you treat your children and spend time with them as though you are doing it for a king? You see, what, what is at question here is who and what do you give your life to? If it's just for yourself, the Bible teaches us, and I think we've experienced, if you're just living for yourself and what you want and to, and to fulfill those cravings and those desires, you're going to live a very empty and unfulfilling life. But if you live your life for Christ and to give it to God, to give God the glory and honor, you will live an extremely meaningful life. And so the verse continues. But when you are invited... Go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher.
this isn't just practical advice for a wedding. This was advice for life in the kingdom of God. The one who issues the invitation is the one who has the final say about where you sit. Some of you, most of us, will remember the story of the mother of James. What is it? James and John. And she asks Jesus, she says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, how does it say? Declare that these two sons of mine, James and John, one will sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So this mother, who was probably asked by her sons, hey, can you please go talk to Jesus, right? Because that still happens today. But this mother goes and says, Jesus, declare to me today that when you come into your kingdom, this, this kingdom that they were waiting for, like a government of sorts, that when you come into that kingdom, that my son will sit at your right and my, and my other son will sit at your left. Those are the positions of honor and authority and of power. And she says, promise me that. And Jesus is like, he doesn't say this, but he's like, you've completely misunderstood my kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus was already taking place with the person of Christ. He was Lord over all things. They wanted positions of power, but as we see, the kingdom of God isn't about being the most powerful person in a room or a country or a state, but the kingdom of God is those who are the most powerful are those who serve the very best. Honor in the kingdom of God comes by the way you serve and the second part of the verse says, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit with you. There's an expression that is often heard even outside of Christian circles and churches. How many of you have ever heard the expression that the last shall be first and the first shall be last? That is the identifying mark of people who live in the kingdom of God. When you give up your right for power and wealth and self-indulgence, and you give yourself to the God who is asking you to pour yourself out for others, to serve others, you will find ultimate fulfillment when you do that. How many of you have ever um, done something nice for someone and just the sheer joy in the other person's face or just them thanking you for doing something? Doesn't that feel good? Can't that be addicting or addictive? Addictive? Yeah. That is the reward that we get to know that we have actually helped and shaped and helped someone through probably the darkest times of their life. That is the reward, knowing that your life matters beyond just what you want, but rather that your life matters because you are giving and serving and helping others. Life in the kingdom of God is that we expend ourselves on behalf of those in need because we were once in need and God gave us all his grace and love. And it is through that that we have this gift of eternal life. And verse 11 says this, For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, some of you might be thinking, like, well, then I'm just going to pretend to be humble, and I'm not going to exalt myself, and I'm, I'm just going to be modest so that I will be exalted. That, that doesn't work either. To truly live into this is to understand that we live our lives for Christ humbly, and if we are exalted, if people give us praise, then fine, we say thank you, but we are not to live our lives for that. It's about our motivations. For Jesus, most of the conversations and teachings that Jesus has is about you have to check your motivations. Are you doing it for yourself, or are you doing it to give honor and glory to God? 
So that's part one of the sermon. Take us 10 minutes. Now I'm going to go to part two, which will probably take us another 10, maybe seven minutes. Because we've talked about humility. Okay, we have to be humble. Don't be a show-off. Don't be arrogant. I'm not always right. Yeah, that's humility. We know what humility is. The people that we like the most are the people who are usually the humblest. But now I'm going to show you what it means to truly be humble. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? It's going to hurt. Amen? It's not my teaching. It's the Bible teaching. I'm just going to help to explore what this means. In order to truly understand humility, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. And this is Paul writing, and this is what he says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than who? I have to sit down now. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. You regard others as better than yourselves, not because they deserve it, not because they've done something to earn it, not because they are better. The reason that you treat others as better than yourselves isn't because of something they've done, but it's because of what God has done for you. You see, if you have a hard time treating other people well, it's because there's probably something that has happened in your life, and maybe there is something within you that is in dire need of help. But when you treat others as better than yourselves, what you're really saying is God ultimately has everything in control. God has sustained me, and I'm going to treat those people well because I don't deserve to be treated well by God, and yet God treats me very well. Even though we all experience hardship, we all experience painful moments in our lives, that's just a part of life. We've already discussed that here. Life on this earth is going to be filled with challenges and obstacles. That's just life. Nothing you can do about it. But along the same path that life is going to be difficult, there is a God who is continually at work in our lives, and he has given us blessing upon blessing. Now, you may not feel it because you're not looking for it, but God has blessed you with all sorts of gifts and blessings and grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. He has treated you better than you deserve, and so in turn, God is asking us to treat others as better than ourselves which means that we serve them, we care for them, we love them. Let each of you not look or look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. How many of you have ever heard the expression, you have to worry about yourself because no one else is going to do it for you? Or look out for yourself because no one else is looking out for you? Or this is a dog-eat-dog world, every man and woman for themselves? Only the strongest survive. No one else is going to care for you. Maybe it's true. But as Christians, which I think most of us in this room are, I mean, you're here, you're listening, some of you are members of this church, you don't get to live by that code. That's worldly. Everything I just mentioned about this world, that's worldly. You don't get to live by that. I mean, you can, but you're going to miss out. According to the scripture, it says you are to look out for the interest of other people. Care for other people. I, and I have news for you. It's not always easy. It's not always pleasant. It can be extremely painful. It's humbling. 
It's humbling to care for others, especially if they've hurt you. It's humbling to look out for other people, especially if they've done something to you that has been so painful that you would rather never see them again. Again, we're not talking about abusive relationships. If you're in an abusive relationship, you get out. That's not, we're talking about everyday kind of stuff. As a Christian, you are called to expend yourself, pour yourself out for others. Why do we do this? Because Jesus did this for you. Let the same mind, and then this part, it's like, it's like rubbing like lemon and salt in a wound. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Well, that's impossible. Because we say that Jesus, and we teach that Jesus was fully human, which we grasp, but he was also fully God. Now, we don't understand that. But yet what the Bible here is teaching us, what Paul is saying is, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ. Now, we're going to, in a moment, figure out what it actually means that the same mind that was in Christ be in you. So let's keep reading this text. He, Jesus, emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born into human likeness. That's better. That'll make sense in a second. And being found, Jesus, in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Yeah, even on the point of the cross. Now, for us to truly understand this, I have an analogy. And um, every analogy breaks down when we talk about God, but it's the best I could do. Let's say that your dad or mom, at some point in the future, was president of the United States. Right? And you're a kid. Are you president? No, your parents are, right? You didn't run for election. None of that happened. But you are a part of the family of the president of the United States. By virtue of your parent being president of the United States, there is all sorts of power and influence that goes along with that, right? Right? A, a child, I'm sure the daughters of our current president, probably have all sorts of power that you and I would never have, right? That's just the way it works. So imagine that they want something or they want to go somewhere or they want to do something. For the most part, they may get it if they demand it because people know who their father is. They can demand to be treated better because of who their father is. They didn't do anything to deserve it, but their dad did. Now take that understanding and think of Jesus, whose father, however that works out, because it's, it's baffling for us, is God. God of the universe. Doesn't Jesus get to demand whatever he wants if he's God? Doesn't Jesus have all of the power to do what he wants, when he wants, however he wants? Jesus can actually change the rules because he's God. But he doesn't. What the Bible teaches us is that Jesus takes on human flesh. Now, which is crazy, right? Because if you go from being God to being human, that's like a huge demotion and step down. But that's what Jesus does. He has all of the power to do all that he wants, and instead he becomes a human. The way Jesus deals with his life is humility. He doesn't demand the very best. He doesn't demand what he wants. Instead, he does what no one expects, and that is to humble himself. Now, the opposite of dealing with dealing with things, the opposite way of dealing with things other than Christ is the way Satan deals with things. And this is what the Bible says about it. This is talking about the devil. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. 
I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly on the heights of Zaphon. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. Satan demanded more. He wasn't humble. Instead, he was power hungry and prideful. How many of you have ever had the conversation with a husband or a wife where you want to get your way and that's the end of the story? Maybe with a boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe with your kids, maybe with a coworker. When you do that, you are living into the pattern set by Satan. But when you take a step back and say, well, I might be wrong, but this is my choice. This is my decision. This is what I would like to see happen. You take the way of Jesus. When you demand what should rightfully be yours, even though it should rightfully be yours, you are still taking the way of Satan. But when you live in a way that is humble, open to the fact that you might be wrong and you might make errors, you are taking the way of Jesus. How wonderful would it be if we all lived the way of Jesus. It's not easy, is it? I like being right 100% of the time. I try to impose my will 100% of the time. That's not true, right? Sorry. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is knowing is that God is ultimately in control of all things and God is moving things forward and God is at the work of renewing all things and so we don't have to worry about it. All we are called to do, how many of you have ever said, I want to know what God's will in my life is? It's to be humble. To be humble. Treat others as better than yourself. Expend yourself for others. That's God's will. You don't have to like it. That's just what the scriptures say. And we go on. Back to Philippians. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus humbled himself. He didn't demand what was rightfully his, and the outcome is that God exalts him. I believe that that is true for us in our lives. When we are truly humble, the Lord will exalt us. When we are humble and we know that we are not always going to get what we want, God will ultimately fulfill us. And so just a couple of things left that I want to say. Humility goes against everything in our culture. Because from a very young age, we are taught that we are to work hard, get straight A's, have 100% attendance, and then we'll get awards and recognition. Now, at a young age, that seems okay, but then that becomes a part of the mantra of our lives. And we do more and more to get more recognition. But when we're doing things just to get recognition, then we're not living our life for Christ anymore. Humility is a virtue that goes, or rather, humility is a virtue that we don't really want to live by because you don't get very much recognition. In fact, when you're humbled, you defer the recognition to the other people on the team. When you're humbled, you defer the recognition to the other people who did stuff and you don't take the glory for yourself. But the thing is that living a virtuous life is not glamorous because we are filled in the society with all sorts of reality TV. Now, reality TV isn't shows about virtue, but rather it's about the self-glamorization of people. I'm not judging you if you watch reality TV. Not from this pulpit, right? There's no judgment. I'm just making an observation because we may or may not see some reality TV at home, (laughs) 
But reality TV is just about putting the person at the center of the universe and making them more important than they are. It's about self-indulgence, arrogance, self-centeredness. Humility is not something we see there. Instead, what drives some of these shows and all of society is a person's personality. Um, I don't, maybe 10 years ago, there was a book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, by, I believe it was by Stephen Covey. I read it maybe six years ago. And one of the first few pages, it talks about that in our society, and this was 10 years ago, and I believe it's still true, that people don't work on their character and they don't worry about integrity because so many people simply rely on their personality. But we know that personality can change depending what kind of group of people you are with, your personality changes. If you're with friends, it's one way. If you're with your coworkers, it's another. When you're with your boss, it's another. When you're with your family, it's another. Personalities change. And what Covey says is that we have to learn to live our lives by developing our characters and the virtues that go along with it. Because people will gravitate to people with good characters, not people whose personality changes all of the time. See, humility isn't something you can fake. People know if you're humble or not. People know if you're arrogant or not. People know if you're self-centered or not. People know that. You may think you're fooling people, but you don't fool people, not for very long. Our society doesn't value humility, and yet Jesus says that we as followers of Christ in this world must be humble because when we are humble, we give light to the kingdom of heaven that is in our midst now. And just one more thing, being humble is difficult. Developing a humble spirit and living in light of it, it's different because it goes against our tendency to desire strokes of affirmation. Humility is basically doing all that you do for the glory of God, knowing that God sees it and that is enough. And for some of us, that may not be enough. This morning's teaching, the sin of presumptuousness, puts us at the center of all things and puts God off to the side. And when we feel like we deserve to be recognized for this, that, or the other thing, understand that you are living only for yourself. But when you can do everything because you are doing it for the glory and the honor of God, whether it's sweeping the streets, cleaning toilets, whether it's preaching, whether it's doing whatever you're doing, you must do all things as though you are doing them for God because ultimately our whole existence is wrapped up in the God who has created us. The Bible says that we move and breathe and have our being in this God. And so my challenge and my prayer for you this morning is that in all things, you would not do them for yourself, but you would do them for the God who continually sustains you. Amen.